Welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. Dr. Dana McNeil is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in working with couples using the Gottman Method. Her evidence-based practice provides support for the wide range of relationship issues that modern couples face. By using her open, affirming, and outside-of-the-box thinking, Dr. Dana is able to approach her work with couples by bringing both insights and tools that reflect the realities of today's complicated relationships. Dr. Dana features guests on her podcast that include a unique array of celebrities, CEOs, influencers, and everyday folks who are all working on navigating new conversations about how society views what goes into a successful relationship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, D-Spotters. This is Dr. Dana McNeil, and I am grateful to have you join us for another episode of The D-Spot. Today, I am excited to introduce you to my guest. His name is Dr. David Zoll. He is a licensed psychologist. Check this out. He works with the New York Police Department, and he's in private practice in Brooklyn, New York. So I totally want to dig into that a little bit. That sounds fascinating. But you work primarily with both individuals and not just couples, but high conflict couples, which in my humble opinion is the hardest kind of couple to work with. So hats off to you, David. Um, you also engage with parents and help them kind of figure out how to be better parents, to coordinate and be a coach. So hello, thanks for being here. Thanks so much for having me. It's wonderful. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited. So Tell me a little bit about your background. I can't just zoom on to what we're going to talk about, which is couples and individuals without saying, how does one work as a psychologist for the New York Police Department? Tell me more. Sure. Um, it's a pretty circuitous path. Um, we can start basically years ago when I majored in uh, history uh, in college, really enjoyed it. But I found out later in life, you know, when you get a liberal arts degree, it, it's great for critical thinking, but not so much for the job market. So. <laughs> I hear you with so, the background in drama. I totally get you, David. Yes. Yes. So what happened was I knew I wanted to do more. I was working in D.C. at the time, living and working. And uh, I said, well, I want to do more. So I, I took prereqs to get my master's in psychology and then got my master's and went to my doctorate. And a lot of my experience has been around severe mental illness, um, forensic populations so have worked in again forensic hospitals in dc upstate new york um i worked in the city with public hospitals and i still had an interest in working in kind of law and with the when a job arose with the nypd um, my background and what they were looking for aligned perfectly so it worked out that must be incredibly interesting. And I love that you get to have so much diversity in your career. You're not like locked into like one population. You get to kind of experience a broad range of clients that you work with. Yeah, that was that was always something that interested me about, I guess, psychology in general. It was never the same thing. I don't do well when it's kind of monotonous, right? If I was on a uh, assembly line doing the same thing over and over again, whether literally or metaphorically, uh, I couldn't do it. So that's what I've always loved about my career is that it's uh, allowed me to do so much in so many different areas and not have one day uh, look the same. Even if I'm overall doing the same thing, right? Like talking to someone, interacting with somebody, it's completely different. Um, so that's always kind of inspired me. Good. 
no, it's, it's very cool. Hats off to you that you've been able to make it work. So let me bring everybody up about what we're going to talk about today. So one of the things that you and I kind of chatted about is there's this idea that there's me stuff and there's we stuff, right? And so how do I know yeah. when it's the me stuff I'm bringing into my relationship or it's me or it's we stuff that we need to work on? So you see a lot of that in the work that you do or individuals might come in thinking that it's their individual problem that's causing issues in the relationship and you might help them unravel what's really going on. So talk a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, oftentimes what I've seen is someone will come in for individual and everything they're talking about, their whole world in that session or session is about their partner. And then the inevitable question comes up, why are you here not in couples therapy? Oh, I never thought about couples therapy, or I feel like I have to get myself right before I go into couples therapy. That that's a big thing I hear. And I've seen the reverse where I've had couples come in and it seems like they're there because one person, and maybe the person knows this, wants to do individual, but they're looking at couples as a way for kind of that person to get care, or that person has become what we call the identified patient. And uh, it, it's kind of a, a misalignment of treatment in either case. And what can happen sometimes, and I have a, a case right now, uh, so I mean, it's, it's ever ongoing, where someone comes in for individual, and the more we talk, the more they realize, you know what, as helpful as this could be, I really need to be with my partner in therapy. We have stuff to figure out. Because when you're in individual therapy, uh, the client is always that person. Right? We're working on that person. We're figuring them out, what's making them tick, uh, how to get them unstuck, reframe their thoughts, all that. In couples therapy, the client is the relationship, right? It's the two people together, uh, or even more than, than two people, depending on, on what kind of relationship it is. Um, but it, it's the two people together, most uh, notably. And we get that unit back to a place of stability. And when you talk about it like that to, let's say, an individual person, it kind of clicks and they think, oh, okay, yeah, that's what I'm looking for. And then at that point, they may want to continue in individual therapy or they say, this has been great, but let me kind of uh, veer towards this path. Um, and this would be uh, maybe more helpful or helpful in a different way than individual has been. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you agree that we need to be working on our individual stuff while we're in couples therapy? Because I find that my clients, when they start talking about issues in their relationship, it triggers some of their own individual things that maybe they haven't processed properly, <laughs> right? Or I can't take oh, yeah. responsibility for those triggers if I don't know what they are. Yeah. I mean, as God, I wish I remember who told me this, but uh past supervisor, you know, told me that the best kind of couples therapy uh, includes individual therapy as well. And what I mean by that is as much as you want to work on the couple, right, that unit, the individual people are a part of it. So very much in a lot of ways, you're going back and forth. And while it's not traditional individual therapy, there's a lot of recognition of, hey, do you know what your role was in this? And when you both get in this cycle, how do you think your upbringing and early experiences related to this? And that can be really powerful because as much as we're working on the, the couple, like to your point, we have to individually understand what those triggers are, what's happening within them, um, because they're the ones that are contributing to that pot. Yeah, 
A hundred percent. I like this visual that I share with my clients that I think of like when I'm by myself, I'm a big pot of stew and it's just kind of bubbling. Everything's going good. I think I got it sorted. And then I bring a person in and it's like I take all the chunks from the bottom and pull it up and everything's like about to overflow from the stew because I haven't been dealing with it. I haven't messed anything up. I haven't like dredged anything up that I haven't been dealing with because I've just been doing my solo thing. Completely. Yeah. And when you're doing your solo thing, it's great and it's easy and it can work. And the, sometimes the issue is when we bring in another person and how do we get them to vibe with our stew and mix in and do the flavors taste good together, right? To go off, off your analogy. And sometimes it doesn't work. And sometimes we maybe have to start a whole new stew or sometimes we can, if we add too much of this ingredient, let me add some of that and that'll counterbalance it. And, and I think that whether you're starting to stew from scratch or whether you're adding other ingredients, that I think is also um, helpful to visualize couples therapy and an individual as well, right? Because you're bringing so much to that couple um, and you may not know what you bring. And most of the time, couples don't realize what they bring. And uh, once they realize it, uh, uh, it's kind of life-changing. They're like, oh, um, you know, I'm the problem, right? Oh, I, this was me. Like, I didn't realize that I was contributing to this. I thought it was all on you. And sometimes I, I've seen that um, probably a good of anybody who works with couples sees that where the person will say, it's all their fault. So how do we get them to change it? without recognizing that if you want them to change and everything else to change, you really have to change yourself. So speak to that because I'm sure as you referred that there's those couples where one of them shows up and it's like, I'm here to escort the person that you really need to work with. So you two go ahead and I'll just sit over here on the edge of the couch. How do you engage that partner that thinks that, well, I'm just being noble by bringing the person that's really the problem. How do you help engage them in a way that doesn't make them get defensive? What's your technique? How do you talk to them about it? Yeah, so a lot of my background is with motivational interviewing and, and a big part of motivational interviewing is rolling with resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not seeing anyone as, as resistant because people usually uh, more often than not are ambivalent. Mm -hmm. So ambivalence is this idea that they have a foot in and they have a foot out, right? So the per partner who comes in and says, you know, deal with that person. I'm totally good over here. There's nothing wrong with me. What I see is a lot of ambivalence as to why they may want to feel like they can't talk about themselves or why it's important for them to kind of be uh, present themselves as whole. So if you've always thought of yourself as, as being good or not having the problem, um, and here you are in a situation where someone might challenge you on that, so that can be pretty disruptive, pretty distressing to your system. Yeah. So you kind of have to do it um, with a little bit of ease and certainly not collude with them and say, yes, you're right. It's all about that person. Because in any relationship with any two people, when any dyad is involved, it's going to be part of this person. It's going to be part of that person. And what we have to work with is how we can make it, uh, how we can make the two come into harmony. So, you know, a lot of it is sort of that rolling with resistance of how can we present it in a way that makes it digestible to the person? Because that's what we always want to do is present information in a way where the other person can take it in and small chunks and digest it. So to your point, they don't become defensive. Yeah. And I think that's the art of what we do as couples therapists, because there's two people in the room, right? And we have to constantly be remembering that I can't turn off one 
by making them feel like they're the ones that are responsible. I have to educate the one that has some responsibility to kind of engage. And it's it's really an art about what you're doing to engage both couples and help them see that they contribute to the situation and yet not make them feel defensive or want to go on guard. Completely, yeah. One of the reasons that I do this podcast is I want to reduce the stigma of going to couples therapy. So tell me what you view that stigma is for those listening that are like couples therapy. What is that stigma that causes everybody to clinch up? The two biggest ones I've seen is this means that our relationship is going to end, right? So if I'm in couples therapy, uh-oh, that means we're this close to breaking up, divorcing, ending, what have you, right? Because who only goes to couples therapy? Couples that are in real problems, right? That's a pretty big stigma. Uh, so if, if we're doing this, we must be in bad shape. Another one is if we do this, the therapist is going to go rooting around for problems. We're good. You don't understand. Everything is fine between us. And if we go to this professional, they're just going to blame me. They're going to put it all on me. They're going to say I'm the problem. They're going, they, they, that person, that entity is going to cause our breakup. And what I see is they're really based in fear, right? Because that's, I hope, not what any couples therapist is doing out there, going in and breaking up relationships, right? But it's what I've seen time and time again, it's based in fear. So maybe some education helps to say, you know, this is what it's like. Mm -hmm. Or people have never really taken uh, responsibility and accountability in some ways for their actions. And that's how therapy, I think, can be, can feel a little dangerous to people because it, it puts them on the spot to be challenged in that way. And when you're with someone else, therapy also feels different. So I've had, you know, clients who, have been in individual therapy for a while and then they maybe not even with me but they you know they've, they've been in individual therapy for a while and then they do couples and it feels different mm -hmm. like this is weird like i'm with my partner i don't know what to say or do right one-on-one -on -one is so much easier but now you have another person there and they have to talk to them not talk to me mm -hmm. so that whole piece um can be so destabilizing that beforehand there's all the stigma there's all these fears um, that come with couples counseling. And I would say for the most part, if not completely, they're unfounded. Yeah. I mean, because it's interesting. I use the Gottman method and I write up my assessments and I share a written assessment with them at the end of the session. And they are like flipping through the pages to get to the back part where there's an arrow that points at which partner is responsible, right? That there's this fear that I'm like, I'm going to lay down my decree about who is 90% responsible and who's only 10%. I mean, there's just this weird fear that we're going to say you're a horrible person and you caused all of this and your other partner is like that poor soul. I can't imagine how they've managed to be with you this long. Right. I mean, talk about this, totally. this fear that they have that we're not neutral, that we have some sort of bias or that we are looking to place blame on someone. I think that's natural that we want to see ourselves in the best way, in the best light. Either we've been told that our lives before or it's kind of protected us. It's been adaptive in a lot of ways. Um, but it can be kind of toxic because if we believe that if that we're wholly insular and nothing can sort of pierce that so then we lose the ability to take in other information and other um, other opinions and we don't reflect on who we are and what we're doing and 
what how we're causing everything and that's can real you know be real problematic because the relationship can kind of stagnate after a while if both couples are not um changing as the relationship goes it's going to be stagnant um, and that's potentially why they came into couples counseling because it was they didn't think it was going to be a dynamic process right we met at this age we met at this time of our life and great let's take a picture and and don't move beyond that and no relationship is going to survive that because at one point once someone's going to say potentially this isn't working out for me i don't like this anymore you know it was okay before and now i'm in a different place in my life i have different priorities i have different needs different emotions and what we had before was great then but not now and so hopefully both of the the partners can move in that uh, general direction together yeah, you raise a great point is that my job as a therapist is not to save your relationship. My job as a therapist is to help you have the best life possible. And if that means it comes to an end, I'd rather you do it on my couch than in the streets via text, right? So <laughs> can you sure. speak to this this sort of ongoing like attitude that I see from my clients that if we get divorced, that means we're a failure in some way. How do you address that with your clients? Yeah, I, I remember a sociology professor I had in college, and she herself, I think, was divorced twice. And she said, there, be, there should be more divorces. And you hear that as a college student, like, what do you mean, right? Because you've you've interpreted all your whole life to understand that divorce is wrong. Like, why should there be more divorce? So, um, and there should be more divorce. I, I, you know, as, as I've started this work, I can agree with her. I think there should be more divorce and more people breaking up because I think people tend to stay in relationships longer past their expiration point, if you will. And we stay in them for all sorts of reasons for the other person, for ourselves, because we feel guilty because we had uh, early development, early developmental trauma. So we tend to stay in these and then we sort of get stuck and we just keep repeating it over and over and over again. And we don't really recognize the signs of, of when it's okay to get out um so some people say well if i leave this it's a failure right i've failed because the only way i've kind of the opposite succeeded is if we keep this going right even though i'm unhappy that person's unhappy this isn't going well we're not doing anything together we're not on the same page but if i just keep the marriage going it's a success right and i think overall just on a human level that's a sad place to be that you're almost uh you've been in some way so indoctrinated to think that that's a failure that you're willing to compromise it for your own happiness and what i'll tell clients and what i'll tell clients when working with them is to see it on a spectrum and walking away from something and even really moving away from the word failure and talking about how walking away from something or understanding what your needs are or setting up boundaries essentially the same thing as quote avoiding or failure if we look at it in a different way it takes sort of the sting away and we get to see it in other eyes because it's very easy for a couple or an individual within that couple to see it very black and white binary right if i stay i'm a success if i leave i'm a failure and what ends up happening is the person just makes more and more compromises throughout their life and after a while it breaks down your self-esteem because you place so much emphasis on you not failing that you continue to beat yourself up on a regular basis, that something that your heart and soul is telling you is not a good space for you, you keep overriding that and then judge yourself based on all the cognitive parts because you're not giving any space to that intuition that is serving you. Completely, yeah. I think that's a great point, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, thank you for validating that. I mean, that idea, because that is so, it just happens in my office on a regular basis, just this sense of like failure that I couldn't continue for 20 more years. I've been slugging it out for 10 and I, I'm not the same person I was when we got married and we don't have the same needs and we're not going in the same directions and life has like beat us up, but gosh, darn it. We got to stay in this thing no matter what. So I appreciate you. Yeah. And it's also tough when, if we have kids in the mix, right? Because now not only have I failed as a, as a partner, um, but now I failed as a parent and what we know, what research shows us anecdotally and, and even research shows us that kids are better off when parents are divorced, right? When, when they're not looking, when they're not exposed to chronic arguments, conflict, uh, any kind of abuse, they do better. So when kids are involved, it makes it a little bit messier because now you're not only feeling the guilt of having destroyed this uh, partnership, but now I've I now I'm a bad parent because I've destroyed the nuclear family that we had. Yeah, yeah. There's so much guilt and shame, and there's so much denying of having to meet who you are as an individual and the strength that comes from honoring that something's just not working and how do we handle it with grace versus stay in something and slug it out and model poor coping skills and bad communication skills. Well, I so appreciate your insight. I mean, that is the goal of this podcast is I want there to be more voices that speak to the necessity for couples therapy. So Anybody who's listening, give them a pitch, David. Why should somebody consider going to couples therapy? I think it's important to go to couples therapy because you can change not only from the inside, but also within the uh, within the relationship. You're going to find that you are happier, that you're healthier, that your relationships are more meaningful, that life feels more productive. You might find yourself smiling more. And what happens is sometimes we work against our own self-interest. So classic case is, let's say the man wants more sex in the relationship and the woman, I'll use a heteronormative couple, right? The man wants more sex and the woman is not as interested, doesn't uh, offer it as much. But what the man doesn't understand is if he's doing certain uh, pieces to help out or to promote intimacy, then the partner may want that. And that's another piece in terms of how we can offer couples counseling to people is if you want this, maybe you should go about it in this particular way. And so what you learn from couples counseling is how do you get what you want based on changing your behavior? And oftentimes we, again, as we talked about, right, we always believe it's the other person. So couples counseling is transformative, not just for the couples, but for you as well. And you're going to see really a spillover effect. You're going to see it in your work. You're going to see in your relationships friends, relationships with family, it's going to be a pretty dynamic piece. And in some ways, you're killing two birds with one stone, right? You're working on the individual and working on the couples as well. And sometimes people uh, only want or feel like they need couples counseling because it's addressing all those different pieces. Yeah. And the common denominator in all of your relationships is you. So regardless of what happens in this one, you're going to find yourself in another one and you might as well learn everything you can about how to do it well. Oh yeah. I mean, the, one of the most tragic things times is when you see someone and, you know, they say, I've, I've had several relationships. They're like three to six months long and I've been the one to break them up every time. Where do you think you fit in with that? I don't, they just weren't the right person. 
You're like, really? Like maybe one or two, I guess you're right. But if we're talking four, five, six, seven, you know, even more, then how much can you not look at yourself? And the person sort of just almost lacks introspection into that. And that, you know, on a, again, a human level, this is a sad place to be that the person doesn't understand. And they're, and from that place, it can lead to other types of mental health issues, anxiety, depression, um, and just feeling very stressed out. Or continuing to feel like I'm a victim and that I don't have any power over what happens to me by taking hold of my own behaviors. Completely. Yeah. I'm so glad you drank the Kool-Aid with me. I'm so glad to have, have met you and, and had a chance to introduce you. If somebody is hearing this and they're like, David, I need to know you, how do they get in touch with you? Yeah, the best way to get in touch with me uh, is my website. So it's uh, www.davidzall.com. It's uh, D-A-V-I-D-T-Z-A-L-L. So www.davidzall.com. You can uh, read articles that I've uh, written and published and interact with me, email me and uh, and such. That's the best way to get in contact with me. We will put the links in the show notes. And I really want to, to thank you so much for being a guest. We, we've learned a lot and I, I love your insight. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, having me on the show. This was, this was wonderful chat. I'm, I'm, really good. I'm really glad we got a chance to do this. Have a good day. This has been the D-Spot Podcast with Dr. Dana McNeil. To learn more about Dr. Dana's practice, simply visit us at www.danamcneil.com.